This is Leader ReadyCast, a monthly podcast featuring real-world lessons, best practices, and action-oriented insights for the you're-it moments when you're called upon to lead. Leader ReadyCast is the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Government. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the latest episode of Leader ReadyCast. I'm your host, Eric McNulty. This month, we're looking at public safety leadership in campus settings. Universities are microcosms of the communities in which they reside and often present health, safety, and security issues as complex as those found in major urban areas. My guests today are Daryl Darnell, Senior Associate Vice President for Safety and Security and Superintendent of Police at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Previously, he served on the National Security Council at the White House and was director of the Washington, D.C. Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency. Also with us is Kelly Nee, Chief of Police at Boston University. Prior to joining VU, Kelly spent 33 years at the Boston Police Department, including as Deputy Superintendent of its Bureau of Intelligence and Analysis. Both are alumni of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative's Executive Education Program. Welcome, Daryl and Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Daryl, let me turn to you first, because you've been doing this a bit longer than Kelly. What have you found distinct about leading in a campus environment? What's surprised you? What's similar to your other roles? I think the changing environment. I mean, every year, you know, we get a group of new students. Every year, I know that I'm going to get 2,700 new bright young students who are energized. Uh, Many of them, this is the first time they've been to Washington, D.C. for any extended period of time. We have students uh, from uh, from all 50 states in our six territories, as well as a, a large contingent of international students. So, you know, every year I know I'm going to get a different influx of students, a different way of thinking. And so that, you know, presents opportunities and challenges to tell them about the safety and security programs and policies we have on on campus. And then again, those who come from different environments, different cultures, educating them about our campus as well as uh the Washington, D.C. area. I think what surprised me the most was just really how engaged the students students were at a young age and how knowledgeable they are about these different types of issues. And it's really, really uh, enlightening and, and humbling to some extent to be able to sit down with these young people and just really have really great conversations about their lives, how we play a role in helping them achieve their, their academic goals etc and how they navigate you know the Washington DC area I think that's a little bit similar to some of my previous roles particularly uh, my role as director of Homeland Security and the Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency in Washington DC you know where we have very distinct neighborhoods we're a federal city spent a lot of time uh, in our neighborhoods talking to uh, residents who have lived here for years as well as talking with residents who are transit residents who are just coming here to work for the federal government for a short period of time. So it was a different transition, but in many respects, it was uh, quite the same transition. And Kelly, what have you found in your experience in Boston? You were here in the same city where you were on the police department. Uh, what's, what's changed for you? you? You know what, really what I found, similar to what um, Daryl just said, is that the community is really, really engaged and really, really engaged in the city of Boston as a whole. What I found when I came over as the police chief is that the threats and the circumstances 
a similar, but my community is a little bit different. You know, I came from the city of Boston that has 13 police districts in various neighborhoods throughout the, throughout the city. And like you said, this is a microcosm of that. My community is different, but the challenges and threats to law enforcement and to the community, there is an awful lot of overlap. I am fortunate that I have maintained terrific relationships with my colleagues at the Boston Police Department, but learning the academic side of things and developing relationships with other, with Cambridge and Brookline, uh, state police, uh, jurisdictions that we overlap with, all with the eye on keeping students, faculty, staff, and visitors as safe as possible. Boston University, as you know, is, is a wide open campus. The, the university prides itself in being accessible to residents of the city uh, of Boston and Brookline. So, you know, we have, those are challenges. We're not a closed university, so those are challenges. But as far as law enforcement philosophy, we, I took with me my firm commitment of community policing and engaging with community, being accessible to my community. And I do that here, and it's been really, really well received. When I started here, I have a terrific group of officers, very, very well trained. Uh, they're municipally trained, so they have all the rights and authorities that the Boston Police Department had within, their, within our jurisdiction. But like Daryl said, the, the community is incredibly engaged. It's navigating how to reach them when we have some information that we want to impart with them, you know, they're not following me on Twitter. They're not following the BUPD on social media. So how do I get information that's not, you know, emergency information that I can interrupt their daily lives with? But how do I reach them with just helpful information and, and patterns and trends? And But I communicate with them a lot on how to reach them. And a podcast is exactly how they like to get their information in snippets brief and, and fast. You've both spoken about needing to, to work with a lot of different and very uh, disparate stakeholders. Uh, you have students, you've got faculty, you've got residents who live nearby the university, you've got the city agencies, state agencies. How have you used meta leadership to build unity of effort and connectivity around these issues? And what obstacles have you had to overcome? And Kelly, I'm going to come back to you with that one. So the way I use meta leadership is you really have to branch out across every aspect of the university environment. So many of our stuff overlaps with the Dean of Students Office, Judicial Affairs, Student Health Services, Residential Life, um, just uh, student engagement, faculty engagement. I have a medical campus where we have uh, postgraduate people and doctors and a, ch a community, a challenging community of, you know, a lot of drug dependency and alcohol dependency in a, a safety net hospital down there. So it, you really do have to branch across the entire university. I do that by really just being engaged, being available, going to the meetings, showing up, being present. One of the challenges I think is coming from a municipal department that was all police officers is now I answer to a vice president of campus operations who is not a police officer and has no law enforcement experience in making sure that he feels very informed and engaged on what we're doing in understanding and, and anticipating questions he ha might have about why we're doing something that we're doing when you know I bring with me my 35 years of law enforcement experience and security experience and joint terrorism task force experience and making sure he understands that it does fit in with 
what the goals of the university are in, in, in protecting a research institution like BU. And I'm just going to clarify for, for our listeners, I realize that I'm very familiar with your campuses as well as my own. Uh, for those who are not, Boston University does sit right on Commonwealth Avenue, one of the major arteries in Boston. So you go right through it, uh, literally, unlike Harvard, which is much of the campuses behind wall at Form Harvard Yard. Uh, and BU's medical campus is a couple of miles away. It is a safety net hospital. So all that drug and alcohol dependence isn't students. It's the, the community that's served by that safety net hospital. Um, and I know Daryl has distinct challenges with being in D.C. at George Washington as well. But Kelly, I, I, I often describe BU as the ultimate urban campus because you literally are, you are in the fabric of the city. There's no, there's no boundaries around you to separate. Yeah, and that's what I love about it, actually. That, that's good. That's good. And I think you know, leading up to someone who has, doesn't come from a law enforcement background it also presents some challenges because... They have to think, they think of a more meta view, a wider view that encompasses more than just law enforcement. They sure. understand your issues as well. Daryl, how, how have you used meta leadership as you've navigated the always complex world of the district uh, and the campus? Yeah, uh, Eric, before I get to the question, I, it's probably will be useful for your listeners as well to, to know a little bit about GW and our geography, and it's very similar to BU. We're right in the heart of D.C. We're four and a half blocks from the White House. We're surrounded by embassies, the Federal Reserve Board, the State Department, the World Bank, IMF, and we're a completely open campus as well. It is not unusual to see the vice president coming and going from his place of residence to the White House on a daily basis. We have a hospital on campus as well. We have some of the issues with people with drug dependency as we have a methadone clinic that is a few blocks off from our campus. So we have similar type issues that we have to deal with. And our university also prides itself on being an open and accessible university, which, you know, I agree with. I think that's the way to be. And similar to what Kelly said, I love that. But it does take an effort to continue to build those relationships. You know, we have the local police department. We have the FBI. We have the Federal Protective Service that we have to work with. We have to work with uh, security agencies from embassies who have diplomatic immunity. And that presents challenges for us at times as, as well as we're, as we're con- conducting our safety and security and our policing, our policing functions. And so one of the things that I have tried to do, starting working inward, similar to what Kelly said, is really working with the GW community on the academic side of the house with the 10 10 colleges that make up the university, and then on our administrative side, and really trying to make sure that I make myself as accessible as possible. You know, I give out my cell phone number and tell people call me directly. I answer my own phone, uh, and I think that gives people a sense of comfort to know, you know what, we we really can reach Daryl anytime we want for any type of situation. This past weekend, I participated in a student-led retreat for the entire weekend uh, for some of our uh, POSSE students. And if you're not familiar with the POSSE organization, it's a nationwide organization that issues, that awards uh, scholarships to uh, underserved communities. And so we have about 100 uh, POSSE students uh, from the Atlanta area that are here on a full scholarship. And so we, I spent the weekend with them on, on, their, on their retreat just so that they could get a better understanding of safety and security and policing issues and those different types of things on campus. And within the wider community, one of the things that we've done here at GW is we started what we call our neighborhood 
Preparedness Consortium. And it's actually a listserv that my office manages. And they're about, we're up to about 1,200 participants that consist of state and local nonprofit entities. And we share information about mutual things that uh, concern us all. Say, for example, last week, the Federal Reserve Board uh, had a uh, fire evacuation drill. And they sent notice to us saying, hey, we're going to have this fire evacuation drill on such and such a date on this time. We sent that information out to our 1,200 members so that they wouldn't get alarmed when they saw that building completely evacuated and lots of people standing out on the street. So that's how, the, you know, how we really try to stay engaged using those meta leadership principles and understanding that it's not just one entity that has a role in the process, but it's a lot of entity, entities and you have to continually nurture that relationship and sharing information and so on. Well, a couple of things strike me in what you both have said. I mean, first is that you, you both talked about presence and being accessible and being out there. Um, you know, we talk a lot at the NPLI about your, your it moments, and I'm impressed by both of you, or you're stepping up to being it uh, and being the face of your function and being accessible to people. And then the second is that it's pretty clear, we, we talk a lot about influence beyond authority, and it seems to me that the situations you each have described are all about influence and that you actually have authority over a relatively small part of your domain. And certainly when you start talking about working with the, the FBI and the Federal Protective Service and those folks, they've got a mission they're going to worry about it. And you, if you're going to work with them, you've got to be able to, uh, to influence uh, because you can't order them around. That's fairly accurate? That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, we, and, and for us, and, I, and I'm sure Kelly, you know, has, has a similar type of experience. You know, I can't order the Metropolitan Police Department around. The buildings on our campus are GW property, but from sidewalk to sidewalk, those are public streets. And so, you know, we have to work very closely with the Metropolitan Police Department on how we police those streets. Uh, the same thing with the Federal Protective Service um, uh, and, and the Park Police. I think the Park Police is probably a better example. The uniqueness of Washington, D.C. is is that we have city streets that belong, if you will, to the district government and are policed by the Metropolitan Police Department. And then we have federal enclaves that are the jurisdiction of the U.S. Park Police. And both of those uh, areas run through our campus. So we have to work very closely with them and how we police those areas, uh, when they have special events, how those events may affect the campus, in those different types of things. IMF World Bank uh, is a good example when they have their, their biannual meetings um, and because they their, their buildings literally bump right up to our campus, uh, right up to a main, to the main university yard. So we have to work closely for them when they put their security perimeters in place so that they understand that, hey, we know that you have some security concerns that you have to address but our students need to get through that right away to get to classroom buildings and those types of things. So it takes a lot of coordination, a lot of working with them. And fortunately for us, we have good relationships that they work with us, uh, you know, during those types of events and even on a daily basis. I completely agree with Daryl. It's really critical to maintain those relationships, you know, that we bring our Rolodex with us when we come to these, when we come to these positions from other, other careers prior to this. You know, I, I came from the Boston Police Department, but you do really need to keep those relationships going 
One thing that the university does here, because we are smack dab in the middle of the city, is we host a lot of events for the city of Boston. So we maintain a really good political relationship with, with the mayor and the city council, students. We host a lot of summer, uh, summer programming for students from the city of Boston. And all of those things really go a long way. You get invited to some of these meetings that the city might have or you know, Cambridge or Brookline. And you know it, it's up to us as the leaders to be present or send high level representation because it demonstrates your commitment to really staying engaged and being accessible when things happen. We just had the, the, um, the Patriot victory. Over a thousand BU students participated in trying to, at the end of that Patriot victory, trying to get towards Kenmore Square. And we coordinate our uh, security plan very well with the Boston Police Department to prohibit the mass gathering of lots of students in Kenmore Square. Unfortunately, when I was with the city of Boston, we learned the hard way that the mob mentality isn't always good for a celebration. You know, so it's, but it's, I agree, it's just maintaining those relationships, staying engaged, and making sure you're taking the care of the city and, your, and the people that are around you as best as you can. It just demonstrates our commitment to them. Now, we've used the word microcosm several times in this broadcast already, and universities certainly present a really interesting mix of ages, ethnicities, nationalities, uh, pretty much as diverse a group as you can get. Kelly, I want to start with you and, and ask you, what do you think others in non-campus environments who are in preparedness and response can learn from those of you who have to work in a campus environment? Well, I think they can learn that, you know, you just I, mean, I hate the cliche that meet people where they are, but that's what you have to do. You know, we have an enormous uh, international population here at Boston University, and they present unique challenges because they come to the United States where, from countries where they may not have a really good relationship with their local law enforcement. There's no trust there. Um, and then, of course, we have people who will prey on their vulnerabilities, uh, new to the culture, new to the language. Um, you know, a lot of scams that seem to target some of our international students in making sure that these students, of all, we try to educate them what these scams look like. We learned that doing role playing, it's, it's one thing to describe what this looks like, but actually having them experience what it sounds like, what it feels like, resonates more with them. And so, so they get to feel what it feels like to be in the scam. And we want them to develop a, a, a sense of trust with us, first of all, that they would notify us if, if there was an attempt, and also notify us if they fell prey to being victimized by that, that we would do everything that we can to help them. So it's really, it's sometimes just knocking on the door, and you have to be a little bit persistent that, you know, we want to come in and engage with the students in a very low-key, friendly way, because the relationships are best built when we're not needed. You know, so we want them to see us walking around and engaging in the entire campus, uh, campus community when they don't need us, because the, you shouldn't have to make the relationship or make the connection during a crisis. You want to have a friendly face that you know right away you can pick up the phone and you call, call somebody when something is going on. Daryl, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, it's similar to what Kelly just uh, articulated to you, but I would also add that when you have a, a major event or some type of crisis, some type of catastrophic incident, I think in my previous, in some of my previous uh, experiences, you know, we focused on what do we, what do we do for people who have access and functional needs that are different from 
uh, the other population, and we try to address for that. And a lot of times we would focus on ADA uh, issues. And one of the things that I've learned here at GW is because we have a significant international population, it may not just be ADA. 14% of our undergraduates are international students. And so if you have some event, one of the things that we've learned is they may not have some place to go, you know, if we get 20 feet of snow and they can't get, you know, they can't get around campus. They may not have extra funding, those different types of things. So one of the things that we've really worked hard on the last few years is how do we address access and functional needs for international students who are here away from my thousands of miles away from home. They don't have a lot of family. Uh, and other friends here. And so what do we do to keep them comfortable, to accommodate their needs, and those different types of things? And that's really, you know, really uh, a big deal for us because not only do we have our downtown campus here in Washington, D.C. that I talked about earlier, we also have uh, another campus in Virginia in Loudoun County about 20 miles away. And as time has gone on, that campus has had a bigger footprint in a number of students who attend classes out there. So it's a huge issue for us. And it's one of those things that, quite frankly, when I got here to campus, I got to this job you know, nine years ago, I really didn't think about. And as our international uh, student population has grown, it really has become something that we, we spend, a, spend a great deal of time focusing on their needs. Interesting. And I think that is indicative of, of our communities nationwide, which have gotten more diverse. And as much as you think you know all the nuances, there's almost always more to know uh, because nothing is static. And, and you get these pockets of the community that you need to serve and need to reach, uh, but who may not be in your radar if you're looking at the traditional parameters. One of the things that popped up on, on, on campuses, certainly over the last couple of years, but it goes way back, I think, to the beginning of campuses, is protesting controversy. Um, I know you've both seen this uh, on your campuses. What lessons have you learned about balancing the right to protest with the right to safety as you've dealt with the uh, constituencies in your, your, uh, your campuses? Daryl? Yeah, Washington, D.C., we, we do protest. <laughs> <laughs> so for good or bad, we have experience with it, and, and I'm sure Kelly does in Boston because obviously it's an international city as well. But I think there are four things that I try to focus on. And the first is, is emphasizing that we all have a First Amendment right to free speech and protest. So everything I do evolves from right there to whether I agree with the, uh, the topic of it or not. The bottom line is the individual has a right to free speech and to freedom of assembly and to do it in a peaceful manner. And the second thing is making sure that everyone is educated on First Amendment rights and particularly uh, here in an academic setting. One of the things that we do as a part of our orientation every year is we sit down with all the student leaders, our student association, all of our affinity groups, and we say, hey, let's have a conversation about the First Amendment so that you guys understand exactly what it means, even in a college setting. And then we talk about time, place, and manner, that there aren't absolutes with the First Amendment, that public entities and private entities have a right to determine the time, place, and manner of a protest consistent with the, the right for free assembly and free speech so that they can ensure that it goes off in a safe manner. And finally, Eric, I think the most important thing is, is what I've learned from my experience uh, from what happened in Seattle in the, in the late 90s and uh, what happened here in Washington, D.C. In, in, in the early 2000s is 
there needs to be communication right from the beginning with the folks who are going to be engaging in protests, particularly if they are really very controversial issues, similar to some of the things that we've seen over the last couple of years. And, and one of the things that I've learned or those lessons learned is that have that conversation early, have that conversation often, have that conversation a third time, and continue that conversation on both sides of the debate. And I think that served us well here at GW. Now, Kelly, probably a similar kind of situation that I would layer on top of that, what you just alluded to in terms of the Patriots victory. We in Boston mm-hmm. here have our fair share of celebrations that, turn, that can turn into uh, negative events as well. So wrap mm-hmm. all that together, if you would. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I couldn't have said it any better than Daryl has just said it, you know, is that, you know, our role here is to respect everybody's right to uh, enjoy the First Amendment. But it's also making sure that people understand that they should be able to respectfully disagree and let other people speak. You know, when you have protests that really infringe upon the people who apply for the permit, you know, and they, they, they want to be speaking, and then you have a protest that drowns that out, you know, and, it, and it's balancing everybody's right to be heard and to try to keep it respectful you know, Boston and Boston University is incredibly liberal, and we have a terrific relationship with the student organizations that are running these events because we make a conscious decision to really just be in a standby mode. You know, when if you're going to have an event and you think it's going to be controversial, we will work with you. We will establish the best security plan we can, and if something starts to happen that begins to interrupt it, we work out a plan where either the Dean of Students Office, the the, uh, representatives from the Dean of Students Office or student representative will be the first to try to engage that. And that the police are absolutely the last resort. You know, the last thing I really want for the university and for my offices is to be captured on, on Twitter and some type of social media feed that is blasted out there where we're being the bad guys and being perceived as suppressing people's rights to free speech and assembly and affiliation. Uh, we had recently had a demonstration on campus. There was a job fair, and there's a lot of demonstrating going on around Raytheon and their funding of military type of research and engineering type of stuff. So, you know, when we met with some of the protesters when they came onto campus and they actually got into the where the job fair was taking place some students who were there uh, started to sing and protest and we were there and we just allowed them to do it the only thing we asked is that you allow other students who want to go to the raytheon booth access to get there and they were really kind of surprised when when my captain said that to them they were like oh okay thank you and they were thanking us so it's really just you know in in a stressed all over campus that we will never accumulate data on students' affiliations with certain groups just because we may not agree with them or whatever. We will not, you know, it's not a crime to affiliate with a group that even espouses hateful ideology, correct? So we will not accumulate data on those students. Um, We check behavior at these types of events and not the people who uh, are showing up to attend. And I think, as I recall from your former boss, Billy Evans, who was Boston Police Commissioner and MPLI alum, 
uh, once said, you know, if you come dressed for a fight, you're going to get a fight. If you come dressed to engage peacefully, you'd be surprised at the reaction you get. Uh, I think that's exactly Absolutely right. Actually what you're describing. Uh, in just a couple of minutes we have left, I'd like you to, uh, to think about, from your roles, are there ways that you think you, you can help shape the future of emergency management, preparedness response beyond the campus environment? Are there lessons learned for our, for our audience members who are not in your roles who can take forward? Daryl, let me come to you first on that one. Wow, that's a, uh, that's, a, that's a great question, and I'm not sure ex exactly how I can handle it. I think there's so many similarities between what we do and, and what Kelly and I have had in our, in our, in our private, uh, our, our past professional experiences. You know, I, I look at GW and I look at a university like BU. We're really small cities in and up in, into themselves. I have many of the same issues that I had when I was in district government. You know, uh, I, I like to tell people, you know, if you, if you take the mayor and make that a university president, if you take the city administrator and you make that the provost and or the vice president of operation, if you take the cabinet members, each of the cabinet members, the mayor's office, and you make that the deans of the 10 colleges that make up the universities, you take up the hospital, the DC General Hospital, and you make it now George Washington University Hospital. If you take the museums in Washington, DC, and you take the two museums and the 100,000 piece collection, art collection that we have in DC, and I could go on and on and on with the similarities. So I think for us, it's just like, how do we, if, if there was something that I could do in, in terms of uh, going beyond the campus environment, I think it probably would be more so is, is letting folks understand, particularly in a big city like Boston or Washington, DC, uh, hey folks, you've got these university assets over here that you could use to help you out, to help us deal with some of these issues. One of the great things about being in the, on the university is that I realized early on I had a lot of brain power that I could use at my disposal that I really didn't have to pay for anymore. I could go to a college student that was writing a thesis, needed a thesis topic and say, hey, help me with my crime analysis. How can I make my crime analysis better? Oh, help me build a, an app that's student-centered where they can contact the police department you know, and, and really make it be something that the students would really want versus it being an off-the-shelf product. So I think those are the things where maybe we could, be, you know, extend that beyond, beyond the campus itself. The, the campus is a learning lab, as it were. Kelly, I'm going to give the last word to you. Thank you. And it's funny because emergency, the Office of Emergency Management now directly reports to me as the Executive Director of Public Safety as of January 1st. So I'm actually going to um, be kind of going on the listening and best practice tour, and hopefully I'll get down and see Daryl down at GW for his insight onto this as well. Kelly, but you I have an open invitation. I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> you know, so, I, so what I really realize is I, emergency preparedness is a whole university effort. It can't be one unit sitting under the uh, public safety umbrella doing it for everybody. It's really making sure people understand what their role is during an emergency. Lots of training, lots of lots of tabletop and really engaging and asking 
folks in the community what they want to see from emergency management. What do they see are the biggest issues? You know, so I really do think I'm going to be on a, a listening tour and, and hitting NYU, GW, you know, I'll go across the river to Harvard and MIT and see what other people are doing and try to adopt the best practices that would be the best fit for Boston University. You know, we have a pretty well-established emergency management department here, um, but I think the university recognizes that we can do better, we could probably staff it better, and that's why they put it under, um, they put it under emergency they put emergency management under the executive director of public safety now. So I'm really looking forward to it and um, engaging the community on what they see and what they would like to see from their emergency management department. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, your insights today. Uh, to remind our listeners, we've been joined by Daryl Darnell from George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and Kelly Nee from Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, you can find out more about the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative along with resources available to anyone in the field, such as case histories, research reports, and more, at our website, npli.sph.harvard.edu. Kelly and Daryl, thanks for joining us. Listeners, we look forward to being with you for our next episode of Leader ReadyCast. And until then, remember when the, the crisis hits, you're it. Be ready to lead. Thank you. This has been another episode of Leader ReadyCast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.